Welcome to Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan, and I'm left of center. And I'm Rich, and I tend to lean a little bit more to the right. But the bottom line is, is together we try to look for the balance of what it means to be human in today's world. And so when you ask me what's on my heart, I think it's trying to explain, well, number one for me personally is like, I got to really pump the brakes and realize where I start people is probably way too advanced in their world of what healthy life balance is and mindfulness is. And I don't mean that like I'm better and they're not, or I'm smarter and they're not. It's just- No, but Sean, you've been studying it for decades. 25 years. And if you count my own weight loss journey, it started, you know, 15 years old. And so, I mean, I've been- And you were heavy, weren't you? Oh man, I was- Remember uh, that that story? The nurse looks at me and goes, "Sean, you realize you're five foot three and weigh nearly two hundred pounds." I'm oh like, shit! Shocking. I didn't realize you got that I big. I didn't know that. Um, no, no, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that when every girl laughs when I ask them out. And you know, no, I didn't know that. I can't. I fit in huskies. I I really didn't know. Thanks for informing me of that. But yeah, you know so, what? That, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, so, I mean, not that that was motivating, you know, what's really was motivating was, um, you know, girls was motivating and I'll, if I'm to be real honest. And, uh, so I just, you know, I decided, um, to, to drop weight and start working out and I lost 60 pounds in six months between my sophomore and junior year in high school. And so, and I was like a different person the next year. I mean, literally people didn't know I was the same person, which is so ridiculous because now all the okay. people, who didn't, you know, <laughs> That is the perfect place for us to get started. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan. My co-host, Rich, is not here today. But we have back one of my very best friends, Sean, who is a chiropractor. He lives up in uh, El Dorado Hills in Northern California. And we have known each other for probably 20 years now. Welcome, Sean. It's so good to have you back. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be back. Great to chat as we are already kind of fired up here. <laughs> I know. So I want to just kick right off because you were bringing it. You lost 60 pounds in how long? Six months. Six months. Okay. Yep. Six months. I want to talk about this because that's a unique situation because it's not just like people think losing weight is about losing the weight. Like I lose the weight and I'm exact same person. I'm just 30 pounds lighter. It's not that. Right. It's how I want to ask you and to walk through this, how did that affect you spiritually, physically, mentally, and socially? Let's talk about those four. I don't want to get your perspective on how did that affect you? Well, I guess I would start by saying, um, first, let me tell you that I never knew I was chubby, heavy, or there was any problem until I was nine years old. And I remember my dad who I met when I was nine years old. Um, yeah. And I don't mean this to sound horrible, but it is kind of messed up. Like, hey, son, nice to meet you. Uh, by the way, you might want to go easy on the cookies. And that was, oh. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, there was, was a little thing between. Well, not the first thing, but you know. <laughs> the first it, At nine, you're like, but here's yeah. the interesting thing that I want to interject. Nine is when around the age when we start getting our prefrontal cortex. And so I'm curious how much of that was there. You just didn't notice it. And once you notice it, you go, oh, this doesn't feel good. Yeah, it was really weird. I, I My first response was like to kind of reject it. Like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm nine. and mm-hmm. um, But it was a funny age. And I, I just kind of, you know, you package it up. I put it in the back of my head like, okay. And then, you know, 
three, four years later, now I'm five foot three, 200 pounds. So apparently he didn't know what he was talking about. It was that obvious. I was kind of last to know. What gave you the weight? Did you eat a lot? Were you addicted yeah. to sugar? Total emotional eater. Well, you know, okay. so emotional eating. Unfortunately, yeah. it, it isn't just a, a one thing. It's hard because I also grew up, you know, um, government assistance, welfare. I mean, it's all carbohydrates. It's wick. It's, it's just, this is the food pyramid. Eat tons of this stuff. So I was a cereal. Well, carbs kid. are the cheapest thing you can give people. Yeah. You know, at least in America. I mean, they've yeah. become the cheapest thing. They really shouldn't be, you know, wild grazing animals are pretty cheap, but when you make a massive, like, you know, corn industry and wheat industry. So yeah, I was just, but I was an emotional eater. It was interesting because at nine years old, that's also, um, it, it is funny that I never thought about it connected. Um, nine years old when I, I realized maybe I was starting to get chubby. Um, and also, oh, really? That, yeah, well, that comment from, you know, my father, I mean, it didn't go unnoticed and, and I didn't, I don't remember so much any emotion attached to it. I just know that's my first memory of somebody saying, Hey, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and obviously maybe I was overeating and I, I was unaware of myself, but either way, but that's also the same summer um, where uh, emotionally it might've been one of the hardest of my life because I got sent to go see a stranger called my father. And also um, that's when I also was introduced to pornography that summer. So if you want to talk about melding, sugar, hormones, uh, visual images that uh, can't be undone and that mess. So fast forward, which is funny because, you know, I was joking around saying, you know, I lost weight for girls. Well, it, it kind of really was. That was my motivation. Something in me was like, look, this isn't going to happen unless I, I get the weight off. I didn't really care about it. I was always strong and whatever. I mean, I don't need to be stopped. I don't care about anything. Just I want girls right. to like. Me. And so, yeah. you know. And, so your and, motivation and, was to, to meet girls. Yeah. Or girl, it wasn't even to meet girls. It was just the attention, the affection yeah. of others. Yeah. And, and what better, I mean, you know, you're, you're a man, what feels better than the attention of a female, especially mm -hmm. a cute, popular, fun, young female, right? That's, yeah. So as a teenage boy, I'm like, I'm not dummy. I'm like, all right. I'm, but what's funny is, um, I, I don't want to take too much credit that I was so disciplined either. I mean, my pride got me in trouble, but it also helped me start losing weight. Um, my mom moved us to this area and I was pretty pissed off. I went from Santa Rosa to a place called Katati and uh, I had to change schools and we lived way far out from the high school, like a little over three miles. And, uh, you know, we had a car that worked half the time and my mom's working two or three jobs. She's like, yeah, take the bus. I'm like, okay, I'm the chubby kid. I'm already in the project poor neighborhood here. I am not getting on that bus. So everybody knows those things. So I'm like, I am walking my ass to school. And that's what I did. And what's funny is um, a little over three miles each way. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, I'm walking six miles a day. And I'll tell you what, when you walk six miles a day, you start losing weight, right? And yeah. uh, But once I noticed I was starting to lose weight, I mean, I noticed it because my clothes were getting looser. Um, then it caught fire like I'm onto something here. And then I kind of took it and ran with it. But I don't know, barring that prideful moment in my life, if anything really would have changed. That was, it was almost like it indirectly started happening. And then I observed it. And I went, oh. And, but once it, I got started, man, I mean, here I am all these years later, I'm probably still at the same thing, trying to be fit and strong. And it, 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 it I don't think it's bad. It's you're kind in of good fun. shape. Fun. You're in, I'm getting you're there. I'm trying yeah. to be like Benjamin Button, man. I'm trying to be, you know, leaner and Don't leaner. Refer. 
Exactly. I'm, I'm actually questioning that of how much does my thought of my age that I think I am actually affect my aging process? Well, that's where we're going with all this is the mind. No, that's yeah. 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 Cause that's really, um, I mean, did people notice me more? Yeah. Well, did people notice me more because I felt better about myself or did they notice me more? Cause I just lost weight. What is it? You, well, you can't ever you appreciate life more when you're grat- when you're grateful. The answer is absolutely. And I think it's the perfect test is anybody can be happy. You just have to be grateful for what you have in this moment that right here, right now. And when you do, it completely changes your entire trajectory. Okay. Yeah. So we covered the first one. What's the second one? Um, I forgot what we, what was socially, oh, socially, socially, spiritually, physically, and, uh, mentally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, socially did it improve yourself? What's that? Socially did it improve your situation? Yeah. 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 Like that worked. you know, my, my, I guess dating life started my junior year. Um, you know, I had my friends didn't change. I had great friends and they were the kind of friends who, you know, love me ride or die. Right. Like even if I, and, and, and here's the irony of it all is, you know, during that weight loss, I, I lost all that weight. I'm about to play football. And uh, I mean, my whole life can be almost comical to some degree. Um, you know, the whole Domino's pizza, 30 minutes or less thing. Well, I'm part of why that doesn't exist anymore. Cause I got slammed in a crosswalk going to school on my bike. And uh, I wasn't walking anymore. I was going to football practice and I'm in a crosswalk and 30 minutes or less trying to make a right on red without stopping and just never looked and blasted me. And so my face hits the ground. I fly into the intersection. My teeth are all broken. My lips all ripped apart. I'm bleeding everywhere. And so then, you know, I finally attain this, like I'm this handsome, fit young man and now I get my teeth knocked out. <laughs> and so that, you know, so emotionally and spiritually, it's almost like I kept doubling down. Okay, well, now I got to prove, you know, so now I'm all goofed up here. So now I got to get really witty and really, um, you know, whatever, get, get, make people, you know, I got to keep that attention, right? I got to keep that affection. And so that built that. So there was nothing spiritually going on for quite a while. It was getting kind of worse, if anything. Um, you know, I just went from being not a lot of options to now too many options. And, uh, but I, I pushed further into the kind of fitness thing and, and my friends and, and really was um, always kind of living on the edge of, of, I think that's where the dopamine in the brain, the reward addiction started coming from. And it was strong. It was like, I would do, you know, whether it's working out or eating or not eating or uh, dating or not dating, whatever I was, I was going to be like, like super purist strict, you know, like the uh, intense, everything was intense. And I I look back now, I'm like, Oh, I I have that addictive personality and all those things were just triggering dopamine. So, um, but mentally I was sharp, you know, when you're, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, you know, the mental abilities are, are sharp and the neurotransmitters. I hadn't burned my body out yet. So I was really pushing yeah. You had a lot of, still had a lot of energy. And I think that's, yeah. but it's yeah. the interesting thing about the idea of, cause you see people, not just for back, you see people for weight and health as a chiropractor. What a lot, how often do you talk about seeing weight loss as something bigger than just losing weight? Is it usually more? Well, it, I already know just about everybody that comes in wants to lose weight too. So it doesn't even need to be a So it's a byproduct of everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Because nobody's really happy with their body much anymore. Men, women, 
I mean, and it's, and even finally, when I get men are at healthy weights, now they want to gain weight. You know, I have men almost 70 years old are like, how do I build muscle? And they're like, you know, they're basically dirty bulking. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, which you mean just eating a, a ridiculous amount of calories. I'm like, you're reading that those steroid editorials, aren't you for people? I mean, editorials by people on steroids, not normal people like us. I'm like, quit doing that. That You can't force your body and manipulate it to, to make these great changes small changes over time for sure. And if you're in a deficit, you can get back to kind of a, a, a homeostasis really quickly. But if you're already in your homeostasis, you're not putting on 20 pounds of muscle in a year. You're not, you, you know what I mean? There's always a cost to doing something like that. And so, but yeah, most patients, if I'm to be honest, I think it's people come in and I, I, I'm not even joking. They don't know why they're there. A lot of times they're just like, so-and-so said I, I needed to see you. Um, or I've been to this person, that person, that person, and what they're hearing doesn't sit right with them. And I think they're looking for hope, but they're also looking for somebody that's not going to sell them and, and take advantage of them, give them hope, but also give them results too. And, but, but yeah, weight loss seems to be always linked into that identity and that, um, just displeasure with their body. And I know that displeasure where people just, I, I think people just hate the way they look and, uh, they hate the way they feel. And most people, no matter how good their life is, we could tell them, hey, be grateful. It's a great life. And they go, yeah, yeah, I know. But if they're to be honest, they just they don't like their lives. And so I get a lot of people who seem to really be struggling with like loving themselves or liking their lives. Yeah. Are, do you feel kind of like as a doctor sort of at the front lines of that? Is that increasing? Are people becoming more conscious or is it just same as it has always been? People have just always been unhappy. What do you think? Well, I mean, my circle, like, so my mom was a total hippie. So like this looking for something deeper and more meaningful and being well and being fit is, I mean, in my world, I, I haven't seen that change much, you know, my people, but in terms of patients, absolutely. When I started in practice about 20, I don't know, 2001, say two. 2001, 2002, the big thing was carpal tunnel syndrome and fibromyalgia. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, who doesn't have that? And that was such a physical thing. And then people started kind of getting more, I, I think things like Dr. John Sarno's work about mind-body uh, pain started hitting and Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now, and he started talking about pain body. And I think people started realizing maybe this pain, well, and there's all these failed surgeries. Now it's placebo work and understanding yeah. how much placebo but there was so much mechanical stuff back then. And like people go to a chiropractor because I'm out and you have to put me back in. And this model was so like, we were so like bought into rack that. Rack and crack. Yeah. yeah you told me that. Rack and crack. Yeah. Rack and crack, you know, line them up and just boom. They would call it the flying seven. It's like the neck on the left, the neck on the right, three times in the mid back, the low back one way, the low back the other way, three, four, five. Yeah. The flying seven. And I realized there's nothing wrong with mobilization. That's great. But like, okay, I just did it. What? How many times do I got to do that? And then we start going, no, you just have to believe more in the power that made the body heal the body. And if I just adjust there, then all your symptoms go away magically. And I'm like, okay, now we're getting into what, when that does happen, when you adjust somebody and something miraculous happens, I personally believe that's more to do with your faith in me, my faith in what we're doing, and physical touch, appropriate touch, and somebody just caring for you. Do I really think it's the few millimeters that joint segment moved and made some pressure and you heard a pop that did that? No, I, I, I mean, it has something to do with it. But 
that do you think the sound of the crack gives people a sense of reassurance that something good is happening? Well, because it was out and now it's back in. And here's what's comedy about, which is all nonsense. Like, oh, look, it's not in. Look, look, oh my gosh, I have a 90 degree problem in this joint. If it was just, oh, it restored. And if I just got a pop, then I'd be like, it's so silly. Like I used to take x-rays of people. And if I had somebody not standing right, it looked like they have a curvature and I could create this whole paradigm and philosophy and treatment plan based on this. And it's really like, well, did you have, did you even check to see if they were wearing the same socks? Cause some people have a thick sock on and a thin sock and it makes a two mil. Like we could get into all the silliness and then we would double down. No, no, no. Now you got to clamp the head and take x-ray. It's like, here's the reality. Like the reality is people are very influenced by buy-in, right? Their paradigm. Okay. When you connect with somebody's paradigm and you think you're out and I reinforce, yes, your neck's out. And then I put it back in, you're fixed. But to me, that is a huge part of how placebo works. I'm not saying it's fake. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying, like, you know, we explain this stuff in ways that are good for business. The power of influence yeah. is really what it is. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like, uh, like even down to like the, like I was just watching the rubber hand experiment. You ever see the rubber hand experiment? No. They tell somebody, look, um, they put a rubber hand and they say, hey, we're going to trick the brain and um, they block it so you don't see your real hand. So there's a rubber hand there. It looks like yours and your hand's oh. over here, but it's covered up. And they start, yeah. they poke one side and you start to feel pain in the rubber hand, basically. And then they, they catch you off guard. Oh, they pull I've out, seen that one. Yes, yeah, they pull out a hammer and then they hit your um, rubber hand and you scream. It's like, well, nothing happened. That's not you, but like, you know, or the Milgram experiment, right? where you got the person, the Milgram experiment, you got the person on the other side, crank them up and you feel like you're shocking to death and you keep doing it because an authority tells you to like, these things are real. These things are are triggers in our brain. And I think unfortunately in the healing arts, especially, I mean, in business too, um, we're just, we're kind of manipulating people sometimes intentionally, sometimes it's not. You go to school, you learn something. It's not even right, but you think it's right. So you speak that to people and it works, which is what kind of placebo is, right? And so I don't know how we got talking about that. You had asked about are people coming in more open to mindfulness and, and health, body balance? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah they it's are. It's journey of yours. You're in chiropractic, which you do the back. But as you said, people come in with intentions of almost always wanting to lose weight. And it's at the end of the day, they're walking in wanting a mindset. They want a way of thinking that's going to produce life. Like you said, people are unhappy. Do you think that number is growing? Like people are becoming more aware of it and there's more, or it's just always been really bad? No, I think it's getting worse because I think there's way more information dump on us daily and it's pretty much all negative. I mean, once in a while, like I try to, if I'm going to get on Instagram, I am trying to follow as many funny cat videos as I can. I want to see cats smacking each other. I want to see, you know, Dallas Cowboys and 49ers with different cat faces on, you know, going at it. I want to see silliness. But the reality is inevitably, what am I going to see in my feed? No matter what, what am I going to see today? I'm going to see red versus blue. I'm going to see what an, a racist Trump is and what an a invalid Biden is. I'm going to see it's nonstop. I'm going to see the border and I'm going to and it's, you know, and as you know about the algorithm, it's to get me it, it's to pick the scabs that I already have. And Facebook so is that. being sued. Facebook is being sued right now in 41 states for its influence on children. Did you know that? It's like a week old. It's 
crazy. Indeed. I think it's awesome. I, I think it's wild. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's by the time that gets all sorted out, AI is going to be so far out of like, we're in trouble, right? Like, because the information, I, I mean, my, my son showed me something hilarious the other day, like Joe Rogan and David Goggins and Goggins is talking about something. And then Rogan's all, wait a minute, you're AI, you're not even you. And then he reveals he's not him. And then there's Rogan watching this going, that is me, but I never said that. And it's just, oh, you just got to laugh, but it's scary, but right. Like, so the psychological influence on people, and people come in and tell me things they saw on Facebook and I know what they're talking about and I know it's just completely nonsense. And it's a really delicate thing to, to say, hey, just so you know, you might want to fact check things before you, you tell people. And I, I got a good friend of mine, Paul, who fact checks me all the time. I got to be careful because reposting things. He's like, you know, Sean, I fact checked that and that's not legit. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're right. I just assumed because of the source. And uh, but yeah, our influence. So you ask, all right, why are people like this? So that extreme negativity from information dump every day, every moment, right? And then there's, we've converted all our incandescent lighting, right? Which is closer to fire, I would imagine. The wavelength of red light's like 635 nanometers. So when we look at a rainbow, right? We got violet on the bottom and we got red on the top. Any stronger than violet down here is ultraviolet. That could hurt us. Any slower than red up here is infrared, can't see it. And that could hurt us too, can be healthy. Both of these things, you know, they're just light. But what's happening is we're picking this one piece out now, which is the 400 and something spectrum, which is what, fluorescent and LED. And we're, we're beaming that. That's why I'm wearing a hat right now. I got this LED light up here. It stresses me out. I'm tr not trying to be a crazy person. The minute I get inside with these LED lights, something in me just gets a little bit more agitated. And uh, it's interesting if I block it from coming right into my, my eyes, my retinal pathways by the rays hitting. Now they're refracting, but they're not pumping into my eyes. Um, I just think it's a healthier thing. But like, you know, this is a real thing. This isn't woo. -woo. I, I mean, I, I, I do some work with one of the city engineers in Long Beach and one of his huge projects was converting everything over to LED light. And the amount of reports he had to write because it is no, it is light pollution. You're changing things and it is more polluting. And, and, you know, I follow one doctor who you had on Dr. Cruz, right? He talks about, um, this is his world, this light thing, but he light. talks about the, um, basically, um, when you, after the sun sets, when you take that, that spectrum of light that's in our, our daytime and you pump it into our eyes after the sun sets, our brain gets a little confused. It's like, Hey, it's noon. It's noon. And then, you know, we try to go to sleep. And what does everybody have? Sleep apnea, insomnia. I mean, the sleep yeah, issue. But it's good for productivity when you want to extract every ounce of power out of people. 24-7. It's, <laughs> it's cheap energy, too. Yeah, it's, it's Yeah, that's the thing. I think we are reaching a point culturally in the world where we're kind of saying how much can be extracted out of people before they just give up or fight back because the, yes. the amygdala is going to jump and it has two main ones, fight or flight. It does have fawn and freeze, but it's mm -hmm. fight or flight are the core ones. And that's what's building is I was talking to Rich mm -hmm. about this today is what it, we were talking about. What is the black swan of change. So mm -hmm. anytime like 9-11 was a black swan, came out of nowhere, but had massive shifts. And if we are moving towards a something, what is going to be that black swan? And I think it's one interesting possibility, one of possible 
possibilities is the idea that Gen Z basically says, think about Gen Z entirely wired into the influencing market. If you got 300 million person influencers and said, Gen Z tomorrow, we don't go to work for a month. You change policy pretty quick when you do that. Everything grinds to a halt, you know? And that's the kind of black swan that could erupt, that could shift things. Because I think um, I think what Me Too taught us is that we can change quickly. Mm-hmm. What, what The good and, side of Instagram is reels yeah. educate you very quickly. It creates right. a thread. It creates a neural pathway. If you're watching it 30 days in a row, you've created that habit in you by watching Instagram. That's the power of it. Yeah, I think to your point, um, there's a dangerous side to all that too, which is, and I I have this feeling that I honestly think this gets into what our original talk was like, um, or like, let's just use weight loss, because this is something that I feel like everybody, I love what I love about like, being overweight, just being fat, being obese, whatever you want to call it. Listen, I have more body fat than I need. Okay, nobody would call me fat, but it's not the body I want at this point in my life right? I have residual adipose tissue, adiposity. It's fat. It's, I'm not fat as a human, but I have, you're getting what I'm saying, but here's the thing. What I tried to do, and I did this 60 pounds in six months. I've also lost 30 pounds in 21 days before, and I've lost 30 pounds in three and a half years. Those are my three major. um, Mm -hmm. And in between those, I had gotten heavy through lifestyle. But what's really Mm -hmm. funny is I just documented Okay, one was 15 or 13 years to be 60 pounds overweight. Another one was, you know, my college years to the time I gained 30 pounds again, that was probably 10 years. And then my other one was another 10 years. And I wanted them done even quicker than 21 days, right? Like that's the, that's the funny thing. So take we have so much power and momentum here and it takes so long to get there and then our our expectation or our expectation, I guess, of, of what it takes and how long it should take to change things. But we're doing that too. Like, so the, the Me Too movement was a great example, right? And I'm not well-versed in this. So th- I'm just using this as a general example, please, d- you know, disclaimer on this one. But we had a lot of years that led to what was happening in the workplace that was inappropriate, right? Oh, God. A lot, yeah. of, years. lot of years. And that's Actually, all- we have millenniums. <laughs> that's yeah. And then how quick did we really, like you said, look at how quick we changed that. How quick was that change? Just being generally speaking. You couldn't have made Barbie pre me too. You couldn't have, it would not have made the the thing that it is today because part of what Barbie did is it said, Hey, women do have the power now and we're Mm going to use it in a good way. That was the power of it. So I, and it's, sorry, I derailed there for a second. Cause I think no, that's, no. So how long YouTube, you that? was a teaching moment that men could change. Yeah. But men how could, long do you think it took to, for, for where it was to like where we are now? Like how long was that process from the time it like, this is a, like a public perception when you heard that and you're like, we're not going to tolerate this anymore till where we are now, where it's like clearly not tolerated anymore in most workplaces that I do business with. Like how long was that? I don't think it's completely eliminated by any stretch, but it's considered culturally. It's, it's the shape of the culture. And I think that's the power of media and social to shape a culture very quickly. 
Me Too is considered mm-hmm. about a year and a half to two years of hardcore activities from Harvey Weinstein to all the Bob, all the guys that were in that group. Right. Shape culture enough to say, okay, enough. enough. Guys, enough. That was the impression. It wasn't like we're going to turn a blind eye. It was everybody saying enough. Well, I feel like maybe That's even the BLM had that kind of thing too, right? What's the, that? The Black Lives Matter. Yes. Um, same right? thing. That, that had same a very thing. similar, in my public perception of watching yeah. it, it seemed right. like that. Here lies some of the problem. When you that is hap- that's just our nature. And I feel like our nature is like, and it's great because you have convicted people with a lot of conscience you know, high level of conscientiousness and there's activism and, and it's great. We need people to do that. But sometimes the problem is we try to change things so fast that we create more problems. And I'm not saying those problems are are worse by any means, but they can be. Um, but now we do that with our health too. And just knowing that it's, it's kind of human nature and cultural nature, like people get canceled fast, but we want to cancel health issues fast too. And it doesn't, nothing works this way. There's just like a, there's kind of like a, I love like if we're to use ancient tests, let's just use like the old Testament, right? The, the, Mm -hmm. the Torah, is that the first five books? Yes. Yeah. So that is just nothing but like, and then they forgot about the Lord. And then what would happen? Come in, get taken over, get, you know, you're now our slaves hundreds of years and so obviously to get to that point wasn't a moment, but it was like, it seemed to follow, like historically, it kind of seemed to follow a, a, a more like, you know, natural curve. It didn't go like this for millennia and then just go boom over. Yeah. Then somebody remembered and then they started taking good, healthy actions and then favor came in. Like, I feel like our body's like that. You can't just mistreat your body. And, you know, I have this little thing that cracks me up when I'm talking. We can't do this, right? The, you know, here, no evil. What is this? Um, I don't, I can't hear it. I don't want to hear it. I can't see it. I don't want to see it. I mean, obviously, metaphorically, it could be either. And I'm not going to say anything. And then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and go, it's time to do something. And you just go like, you know, gangbusters. I'm like, I love that. But in my experience, that creates so many like mental illnesses and disorders because you're like, your brain's like, wait, we constructed a whole life around this and this and this, and you're changing the paradigm on me. And it's hard for people to adjust. That's why they get really good short-term success on health programs. Okay. I tell people we're going to do this. And then the first two weeks, I mean, nothing goes wrong. They're feeling great. And then, but they don't sustain it. Why? Because it was too fast. And I'm starting to realize as much as I can give you all the information, Jonathan, to like, let's say you want to get more muscle, you want to lose fat, you want to get your testosterone higher, um, you want blah, 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 you have all these things, right? I could give you all the right answers, you know about the right answers. But it's like, am I going to do damage to you if I give you too many right answers too quick, independent of relationship, independent of time to heal? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we do with about everything. We just hit it too hard, too aggressive, and there's no staying power. And and so how do I help you, right? How do I help affect change so I'm not just keeping that burden on people and then watching them fail? Okay, you walked into my question. What are people looking for from you or for you to do when they walk in? Are they saying, fix me? Or are they saying, help me fix myself? Now it's give me hope. Yeah. 
but base that hope in the right information and the right empowerment so I could heal myself over time. Now, so it's hope. I need your help now, but I don't want your help in three, six, nine, 12 months, 24 months. I don't want to be, no, not that they don't want it. I don't want to be dependent. See, that dependent piece is where I think like in my profession, um, now a lot of that's just what we are public perception, right? We're, we're spine people, but that's really not what chiropractic was founded on. And in fact, if you look at what chiropractic was founded on, it's completely bananas. It's, it was a magnetic healer who was way whack and he adjusted a guy for hearing loss and it was never really about back pain. That came way later. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of chiropractors said, look, we can make a good living and insurance will pay for it if we take on this back pain model. Well, I, I wanted to be an osteopath from like the turn of the century, like 19. What's an osteopath? It was basically like a medical doctor and a, a, a chiropractor, even though that wasn't oh, really exi- That's what the medical one. world calls a chiropractor. Yeah. Yeah. An osteopath was basically, it was basically a doctor that did manipulation, but there weren't a lot of drugs back then. So you still had, you know, plant medicines and herbs and you had relational and I came to your house and, and I don't know when that all changed, but by the time I looked into being an osteopath, I realized, oh, they're just, they're kind of MDs now. And so it was only well, that. That's probably was, when the insurance companies took over yeah. and kind of dovetailed everybody into, okay, we need this fixed plan so we can make profit. We need to fix costs. And to do that, you can't have a lot of variables. Right. Yeah, you got to control. And here we are now. Okay. When uh, I never knew that about chiropractic world, did chiropractic start with an understanding of the body as a frequency? Yeah, because he was a magnetic energy healer, uh, BJ Palmer. And then there was DD. And I mean, I pretty think the son, uh, I get the story goofed up, but one of them tried to kill the other. He like ran into it, drove his car into him. And Joe Rogan cracks me up. I love Joe, but he hates us. But he clearly doesn't understand what I'm talking about. Because what he's talking about is kind of true. Like, it's not untrue. But then there's a whole nother side to explaining things in endocrinology and neurology. And it's like, look, we're not. You all should right. write him and tell him I would like to correct your I would love to come on your show and tell you why there's another way of looking. I think you would. He he would be so perfect. You would be perfect. Oh, it would be a funny person. conversation because it would. It would. I'm OK with him just laying in because I mean, it's I'm listening to him a couple of years ago going, oh, my gosh, he hates me. He doesn't even know me. He'd love me if he met me. But I, I get where that comes from. And then, you know, it's an echo chamber, all that. But so but, but what's funny is it's really one of the only um, kind of accredited authority figure doctors, what I do, that allows me to be independent of the medical paradigm, the AMA, and yet still be kind of considered legitimate. And, and that's so that's why I kind of went this route. It's like, I don't get the prestige of the AMA and the medical doctor and the surgeon. I want to be a surgeon. Um, Are you under Hippocratic Oath? We have our own oath and our own board and our own. I mean, it's very legitimate. I mean, the reality is I don't think my medical schooling, I I took the same classes. Were they as hard and grinding as um, medical school would have been? Maybe not. But I would have done fine in that, too, because I'm, I'm a hustler and I could take in information. But it was more just the idea of, look, I do I do understand. So when people come in, like who's going to one? OK, so you could go to a counselor and get hope. Right. And you could go to a counselor and get some great techniques. But are they going to talk to you about your endocrine system, about plant based, natural, bioidentical hormones, about detoxification, about 400? No, because they need to sell you a pill. Right. 
So they're going to do talk therapy or they're going to do certain techniques. But at some point, here's the problem. The patient's expectation is way faster than that's going to work most of the time. So you go, okay, well, what if you took good talk therapy, which you know, you don't have to be licensed to be a good coach and mentor to somebody or just help somebody out, right? It, it helps to attract and run your business, but you've done that a million times over in your life, just with friends and counseling people and, you know, without being a marriage and family licensed counselor. I'm not saying to do that and that's a great idea, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Um, that used to just call be called being a friend or a mentor or something, right? Or a pastor. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, but um, so what I'm trying to do for people is, is hear that they want hope hear that they need tools to make their symptoms go away. That's all they care about in the beginning. Make my pain go away, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, or pain when they look in the mirror. It's pain, though. That's why people come. Or else, why would you ever seek out a doctor? Why would you change anything if you don't have those? But how we do it is so important because you have to do it from so many just different angles now that it's crazy. It, it's it's. It's just, it's almost overwhelming, Jonathan. But what I am learning, and we, we were going to talk about the carnivore diet, right? I learned yes. something from yeah. that. And it's more about what I learned than the actual diet itself. It's almost okay. like, you know, why can you are, Just so our audience knows, you are a carnivore, essentially. I've been since April of 23. I've been a yeah. full carnivore, with the exception of- What does that mean coffee. for you? So I just went, well, just to, to sum it up real, real quickly, I went from being like more of a zone diet person back in the early 2000s. That was like the 40, 30, 30s called the zone um, to more of an Atkins to more of a ketogenic diet, meaning now I just keep my carbs under 40 grams a day. And I did that for three and a half years. I was, my metabolism was slow. Meaning I barely could eat, man. I'd eat like 1,700 calories a day in exercise and, and not like burn fat. And so my body would just tone down its life force. So I was cold all the time, you know, and I just wasn't feeling right. I was looking smaller. I lost 30 pounds over three and a half years, but I just wasn't feeling great. And uh, Jordan Peterson, hearing his story about his mental issues and his daughter's autoimmune issues, and they went carnivore. And then it just becoming to pick up some steam. So I just said, hey. I was already only eating like four plants. It was lettuces, you know, ketogenic diet. It was nuts, lettuces, not really many beans. Um, some more, you know, lettuce, nuts, uh, avocado. And what was the other thing um, that was plant-based? I don't even remember. It was maybe like artichokes or something like that. Or um, yeah. oh, probably cauliflower. That's what it was. And that was all the plants I was eating. When I gave those four things up, it was like wild. I lost four pounds of body fat in two weeks. And I know it's body fat because I check my numbers through through a, a, a fancy little computer I have. Um, I felt so much better. My The reason I really did, I had a, like a bicep tear that wouldn't heal over a year. It just wouldn't heal. I'd grab things and I'd, I'd let go and it was really bad. And my stomach was hurting. I was getting headaches. My stomach was hurting and I had this bicep tear. And I'm like, I got to try something else. And that's why, you know, Jordan Peterson talking about I healed this with that and my joint pain. So I just said, the heck with it. I'm just going to go carnivore. I'm almost there anyway. And in the first two weeks, way more energy. Like there's a doctor, Anthony Chafee, and he talks about when he played rugby, he felt like he was like a superhero. I got a glimpse of that. Like I felt, I felt like I didn't need to sleep. It wouldn't matter. Five, six hours, nine hours. I felt the same. I felt so good for this period of time. Lost body fat, increased my, my energy intake of, of food from technically what we would call, I don't call calories the same way I used to, but if we are measuring, I went from 1700 to 2300, like 500 calories, like overnight. 
And now, I mean, I don't even have to track anymore. I just eat when I'm hungry and I eat till I'm full. And then I don't eat again till I'm hungry again. And then I eat till I'm full, but it's what I eat. Right. So, okay. I just had, I, that. I had an interesting thought. Okay. You've basically cut out every single product that's in chips and guacamole and margaritas. I miss it so, so bad. Dude, come on. It's hard, buddy. Here's the thing. People are like, don't you get bored with what you eat? Not really. But I no, do get I understand that. that. I don't, yeah. Food when I'm around all that good food. I mean, I'm not going to act like I don't love those things. But here's what's funny. And I think you'll track on this. It, it digresses just for a second. But um, okay. what I tell people is, remember how I said, like, look, I wanted to be like the medicine man of the old days in osteopath. Basically, I wanted to be able to manipulate because I always knew there was something special when you free up something that surrounds the central nervous system. I mean, your brainstem sits here, right? C1, C2, C3. That's your brainstem. You could live without a brain. You can't live without a brainstem, you know, which is wild. Like there's a chicken where they, they, it was a bad cut, cutting its head off and its brainstem survived and it ran around the yard for years and they just feed it. It had no brain. I mean, it's creepy. Well, when people are like brain dead, but they're still alive, it's because their brainstems yes. attack. So brainstem here, and then you have your central nervous system, this cord that goes all the way down and like everything feeds off that. So when you do work and adjust joints and move things, and there's afferent information going in and efferent coming down, it is pretty darn cool what happens. Now our bodies are so polluted now, but a hundred years ago, it res they responded better to everything, right? So I wanted to do that, but I also knew the power of plant medicine. And you know about plant medicine, everything from before pharma, what was medicine? It was food. It was plant compounds. Now, 99% of the plants in this world will kill you dead. 1% we have for medicine and we eat. Now, just because we eat it, though, doesn't mean it's food. That's a whole nother conversation. We eat a lot of things that are not food, but we eat it. Like seed oils, that's not food. That's industrial yeah. byproduct. But we eat it and we get it confused. Let's not call that food. Okay, so, but, but plant medicine and then the, and then drugs came out and said look if we could change a few carbons and nitrogens and hydrogens or how you know chemistry organic chemistry and, and general chemistry if we could tweak a couple it will still have the same effect on the body but if we tweaked it from nature what like 30 percent, we can patent it which is business right and so that's where we started moving away from and, and good came out of that maybe because now you could really like not overdose people and you could Right. But here's the problem that came, 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 came to where we are now, which is like drugs for everything, drugs for everything, drug after drug, after drug, after drugs, it's big business. But here's what's interesting. I tell people, all right, what were the original drugs made from? Let's recap. Right. Food, right? Plants. Okay. Yes. What are drugs synthesized from? Pretty much we know how drugs work because we study in the body from plants and we've made them. But so what's the difference between morphine, heroin, ayahuasca, THC, and garlic powder, black pepper powder, um, cayenne pepper powder. What's the, I mean, what's the difference? They're both plant extracts, right? It's their effect on the body. Like, have you ever gotten almost like a high from eating spicy food? You're like, whoa, this is. Yes. So my point being is we are eating medicine all the time. It doesn't mean it's food. So for me, I found out when I gave up peppers, garlic, onion, and even worse in their powdered state when they're concentrated. That's what I think did it for me. Giving up those compounds. Oh my gosh. Like my body said, thank you. You've been poisoning me your whole life. Now they taste great. I love garlic and onions and peppers. I love hot sauce. I was like addicted to it. But it's funny. I was addicted to the very things and tomatoes that were causing me harm. Kind of sounds like a drug addict, right? But we're like, oh, but it wasn't heroin or it wasn't 
THC or wasn't whatever people demonize these days, right? But it, it was still killing me. It was causing slow metabolism, thyroid problems, joint pain, and, and probably mental illness because when you hurt constantly. So all that to say, um, people don't know this stuff. So we're, we're eating food thinking, oh, I'm eating healthy food. No, no, you're taking drugs. They're just food drugs and you're messing yourself up. So look, you want to change that? And that's why the carnivore diet is just really the most simple modified elimination diet there is because you could literally live off beef, salt, you and water. You can live off proteins, yeah. And some people don't even use the salt. They literally live off beef. And I know one guy who doesn't even drink water. He drinks a tiny bit of water. Dr. Borosh, the whole uh, uh, deuteronomics, dude, dude, deuterium study he he talks about how we make metabolic water from fat and he only drinks water if he's had a little fat in his mouth and he's still thirsty five or ten minutes later he pretty much doesn't drink water which is how animals survive that don't drink water i mean animals don't walk around with their 40 ounce uh what do you call those containers everybody walks around with. you know all the gym bros got their right like we're, we're addicted to water now which is not healthy we do drink too much water. So when I talk to a group of people, Jonathan, do you know really? how overwhelmed people are? And I'm not like BSing you. I can tell you right now why drinking water is bad for you. And I'm not trying to be like snarky about it. It really is bad. Yeah, your, your municipal water, your filtered water, even your your um, the best one you could buy right now at the grocery store uh, that's low enough in deuterium to not really hurt yourself is uh, uh, what's the name of that water? Right? There's all the, you know, Fiji water. Evian or? Yeah, Evian. That one's still 146, I believe, parts per million of deuterium in that. The human body wants like 130 and no higher. So we are loading our body with heavy hydrogen. That's periodic table stuff. That's a whole nother talk. But what does deuterium do to the mitochondria? Mitochondria is what makes our energy, our literal life force, energy, ATP. It j jumps in there and it slows down the nanomotors that spin. And this is Dr. Borsch's life work. It's fascinating. What are the metabolic diseases now of low energy? These are all the brain diseases, right? The, I believe Parkin, I know dementia, Parkinson's, uh, Alzheimer's, all those, those are, are energy deficiencies in the brain. And there's also other things going on, but we need energy to heal. Is it, I, I want to say it's Dr. Hyman. He, I saw him yesterday and he was talking about that, that really dementia and Alzheimer's is type three diabetes. Yes. It's a deficiency. It's not a, it's, it's not a typical disease in the way we think it. It's a loss of something. We're not getting enough. And that's so that totally feeds so it's not in. what we're doing to ourselves. It's what we're not doing. It, it's, I mean, the solution, yeah, the solution isn't add drugs, add neuro, add the solution is stop doing things that are lowering our metabolic energy because healing is a slow process. And this is what, like, I wish people understood about just anything we want in life starts with. We need the right energy and healing, right? Because mm -hmm. if we're not meeting, most of us, myself included, I'm probably barely meeting my daily metabolic energy requirements, okay? So if I'm not meeting my energy, and how do I know that? Well, um, do I hurt? Am I sleeping without waking up in the night? Like, do I have symptoms? If I have symptoms, there's a good chance I'm not meeting my daily metabolic energy needs, Okay. And so if I'm not meeting my energy needs, I'm not rebuilding muscle. I'm not rebuilding joints properly. I'm not rebuilding my blood cells properly. I'm not. So I'm basically pulling tomorrow's energy for today. I'm trying to live off tomorrow's grace for today. Can't do that. Right. But that is what we do. So what happens when you live off tomorrow's minerals for today? What disease did that lead to over time? When you pull minerals out of bones, that's osteoporosis, right? 
when I'm not burning fat and I'm living off, you know, tomorrow's energy and I don't have it. So then I need more carbohydrates and sugar, right? What's the cost of doing that? Too much sugar circulating the blood is messing up the nerves. Then the nerves don't work. So it's like when we get to tomorrow, then we keep up in the game and taking more pills and pushing harder. And But the problem is it takes a long time to heal. And if we don't have any surplus energy, how are we ever going to heal mentally, emotionally, physically, maybe spiritually, because we are connected into these physical bodies. And that is really the talk for people to hear is you are in a deficit. You go to bed and wake up every day and you are in a deficit and you're, you're trying to bridge that deficit with drugs and sugar and dopamine hits from whatever it is, gambling and pornography and over-exercise. And this is what we're doing. We're going through life in a deficit and it hurts and we got to well, heal. I think that's what, what, Dr. Hawkins would say you're living below 200 in that negativity space where you're always burning more than you have. Now you're taking and away I, from everything. You're not putting right. in. No deposits. Do you think from the people that you see, what percentage do you think are living in survival mode and, and those that are actually trying to make something? Is it, do people get, how do people, how do you see people getting stuck in that space? stressed out space where they're, cause here's the thing, it's a loop. If you wake up exhausted cause you didn't get enough nice sleep and that carries you through and you're never getting enough. Even if you gorge food, it doesn't give you what you really want. So by the time you get to bed, you've had a 10 o'clock bowl of cereal cause you're still freaking hungry. And then you go to bed and you don't sleep. It's just endless cycle. How do people get into that and how do they get out of that? Well, I, I guess it's kind of, it's tricky because we're not all the same, right? So I'll use me. So I did yeah. that carnivore thing for two weeks and, and between two and six weeks, I mean, I can't tell you how good I felt, but then I started not feeling as good again and I didn't change anything. Okay. Right. But here's what I came you stayed to. carnivore. Oh, full words. on. And I'm, I'm pretty right. disciplined. If I say I'm going to do something, right. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm not trying to brag. I just, that's, I have to be that way. No, you are. You're exactly right. I like take that. a bite of something. I'm, I'll think like I went to Italy and the only time I broke, I went to, to Europe for 10 days and I ate uh, pasta twice. I ate pizza twice and I had gelato once. So five times. And um, I mean, I still came back in great shape because I walked and I burned. It wasn't about that. But I thought about carbohydrates for probably six weeks after that trip, maybe two right. months. I, I would just like romanticize about oh that pizza. And the, it's like a drug. But here's what happened with me. Um, I had an issue with my landlord at my commercial building, my office. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was being mistreated and bullied by just a, a really rude person and not treated right who wasn't repairing the things and wanted to raise my rent. And so then that, that started this ongoing dialogue. Okay. I also found out through all this health stuff, like I have a a cholesterol level, you know, hold on, right? 700 pegs the meter. I pegged the meter for LDL and cholesterol. I think I'm 670 triglycerides uh, or, or LDL and I'm 700 plus cholesterol. Okay. They start giving people statins in the twos. Okay. So the doctor's like, you got to have statins. You're going to die. You're going to have a heart attack. And I go, oh, I get what you're saying, but that's in standard American diet, you know, car beaters. I'm not a car beater. Right. And, and he looks at me like I'm crazy. And I go, well, let's do this then before I take the statin, let's do an MRI of my heart and look at my heart right. vessels to see, cause the idea is plaquing, right? That's the idea. Right. So I get my MRI done. I have zero score out of 400. I have zero plaquing. Everything looks great but they find an aneurysm on my aorta that I've probably had most of my life. Mm-hmm. And it's 
it's not big enough to need to do surgery, but it's big enough to stress me out. Right. Cause like, they're like, we're just going to watch it. And it, if it gets bigger, we'll have to go in there. And I'm like, that's like my garden hose coming off my heart. I'm like, life, are you serious right now with this? Right. So I got that and that, and then a couple other things. And what I started noticing was I started feeling like I did before I started getting cold again. I started gaining a tiny bit of weight and, but I hadn't changed anything nutritionally. So what, all that to say, it's the 80-20 rule, man. Mm-hmm. 80% of this health, this life, this existence is is mental. It's stress-based and my ability to deal with stress. And you know that ebb and flow? If I have mm-hmm. more stress coming in than I'm processing and getting rid of, I'm not flowing. I'm building. I'm stagnating. And that's mm-hmm. what I started doing. So, But what I'm good at doing and what a lot of people are, the 20% that's light and food and drugs and exercise and all these other things. We're trying to do the 20% to fix the 80%, but it's really mm-hmm. the other way around, right? Yeah. And so I micromanage this 20% so much and put so much energy into it. But what I just proved to myself is like, I could probably eat McDonald's every day. And if I control my mental stress, I'm probably healthier than I am right now today. And that's why people can get away with that. Yeah, my my grandmother, she smoked for 70 years of her life, like two packs a day. It's like, it there's always an anomaly. What's yeah. that? And she probably yeah. enjoyed it. She did. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, um, so what is the value of, so here's the thing. I contemplated doing carnivore for this, uh, January. And I ended up doing my fasting process, which is my body's pretty dialed in. Mm -hmm. But as I began looking at it, here is sort of the pushback. And I'm not saying for people to push back. I'm saying everybody has their reasons to think through. And I thought through them pretty carefully is I like alcohol and I don't drink a lot. I really don't. I probably will drink on Friday and Saturday nights, maybe a cocktail and a glass of wine. I, so I don't drink a ton, but I do enjoy it. But those are both grains and fruits for you. Do you cut out alcohol too? Because virtually all alcohol is grains. I allow myself now a little bit of red wine or a sip of a gin drink because my wife likes her little drinks and she's good at it. And, you know, uh, our mutual friend Tim can make a mean gin and tonic. And I have, but like it's literally, it's funny. Like we're watching Niners. And he goes, you want to drink? I go, no, no, here's what we're going to do. You're going to make a drink a little taller than normal. And you're going to literally pour an ounce into a glass. And I'm going to sip on that while you sip on that. Okay. Because it doesn't metabolize right in me. But a little bit of clear spirits or um, red wine. And same thing. Like I don't drink. If I have a second drink, I'm going to feel ill tomorrow. I'm going to poison myself. But one drink, I'm okay. And I usually just sip on it. So for you... But for you, the sort of loss of fruits and vegetables was, and moving completely to carnivore is based on, you did have adverse effects. It wasn't just, like, I don't have any adverse, I don't have any allergies uh, that I know of. Yeah. Well, uh, that's what you I tell did. people. If you don't have symptoms, why would you change anything? Now, yeah. if you want to reach a higher level of something, well, then that could be a discussion. But if we're just talking like, and when I tell people symptoms, look. If you could sleep seven or eight hours uninterrupted, or if you wake up and you roll back over and you don't have to get up and pee, because that's not normal. That's common, but not normal. So if you can make it through the night with sleep, if your gut isn't constantly burning or have a ton of gas and your bowel movements are normal, no problem there. If, if you don't hurt chronically, headaches, you know, migraines, neck pain, back pain, toe pain, whatever, um, 
if you know, for a, a male, if your erections work the way you want, if you're a female, if you have a sex drive, um, you know, all these things, then you you probably are now given, does that still mean you're healthy? No. Cause I still think we're all aging too fast. Even that person I just said, maybe that's you. Um, mm-hmm. I still think there's a cost we're aging too fast. And that's a whole nother conversation though. Cause remember we're like, what level are we talking here? Are we talking just basic level of health? What you're probably at the basic level of health, I would say, hey, why change? But then if we say, well, let's just say I could prove to you that you're aging 25% faster and that you're not on track to be 100 and strong at 100, then we could get into it that that. But that's more like um, that's more of an in-house debate, don't you think? Like that's like that's like a kind of a we, we already agree that you should treat your body a certain way and that symptoms are not normal. But now we're getting into like, like fine tuning things or, or, you know, that's where the, the professional athlete conversation would come in and things like that. But, um, but what I do know is you are having to deal with more stress than is healthy and normal. And there is a cost to it. I don't know if we could get away from it. I, I, I just don't like the light problems, the chemicals in our environment, but the food is a big one. And, and here's the thing heart disease and cancer, um, especially heart disease is we're seeing signs of that, um, really early. And when you do eat carbohydrate, you're going to have way more inflammatory response in your blood vessels. And if you're eating an American diet and you are eating carbohydrates and fat, you just, I mean, it's, it's physiology. It's called the Randall cycle or the fatty acid cycle. The cells protect themselves from glucose. That's just how the body's adapted we just weren't meant to put all these exogenous carbohydrates in that's from the outside in we're meant to make glucose out of fat and we do that very effectively with no spikes of insulin and if you look at the biggest problems in health right now heart disease and insulin resistant problems like the dementia like diabetes those are the biggest problems and this is a consequence of you know industrial seed oil and carbohydrates in my opinion and i think it's very clearly in like the research so is it good enough just to not hurt? That's a good starting point, but it just depends what your goals are in this world. I'm going to leave you alone. You wouldn't find your way into my office because no symptom brought you in unless I said, hey, do you want to be, you know, 75 and still doing pull-ups and running sprints? Because we could get you there, but probably not with what you're currently doing. And I don't want to put that on you negatively. Maybe you will, but you're working against the odds, I would say. So let me ask you a question. Because this is the question that I was talking to Rich about, um, and I was thinking about you when I asked it. So as I digest a diet, and I say I eat a steak, steak example, or like a popsicle, let's say something that's actually on the lesser side, like a popsicle, ice cream with a, like a creamsicle, how much is its effect on my body in the understanding I have in relation to it. So if I think, like when I was five years old, I could eat a thousand of these and I'd be fine. Mm -hmm, Gain mm -hmm. weight, nothing happened. But when I'm 56 and having one of these, it gains me a pound every night. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm beginning with the thought process of this is adversely affecting my body. So my question is, there's the physiological components of the mass of the food in the ice cream. Mm-hmm. And then there's my understanding of its value. How much is the message affect our health as much as the physiological mass component? Which is that, more important? 
That's amazing. Well, for me, I would say, I would say, um, as much as I know and as much as uh, how I eat and all that, I would say, if I was more, more than less, the majority, over 50% for me personally. And I have a feeling it's, it's a lot of people that way. And in fact, I think it'd be shocking if we realized because why can't our body, I mean, our body knows what to do. We could handle massive trauma, massive poisoning. We can, bodies are amazing. So why is this little popsicle whooping my butt, right? Like what it, but it's because of that other stuff we talked about, like our mind is so distracted and tired. It's just the combination of, I believe, um, it's just, it's overloaded, man. It's too stressed out. It's over-concerned. It's over-debated. It's over-taxed. It's not a simple life where we could just go, yeah, I'll have that because I want it and it tastes good. But, you know, once again, when you were a kid, it was a treat. It wasn't as readily of, and maybe it was, you know, some houses. It was a treat. That's a good way of putting it. But it wasn't, and I think, how did we eat in the seventies? We probably had a lot less carbs, a lot of canned foods, you know, a lot of families yeah. ate canned foods, but I mean, there were some pivotal things in health and nutrition, right? Mm-hmm. Like seed oils, yeah. trans fats, partially hydrogenated. Yeah. That those really, things, things yeah. Up. Those are actual poisons to your body. Yeah. But, but like it, an it, orange it, is it, not. Yeah. Is it the food or is it the way we live? Because I feel like, right. I think at the end of the day, nature gives us a blueprint of how we're to live. And we have violated that so poor, so much. I'll, I'll give you an example that I like where you're going is imagine if I eat a popsicle, it's a creamsicle with orange wrapping on it. So everybody knows it's probably got like a hundred cars in it, <laughs> eat it. And my thought process is this is not good for me. And yeah. every single time I'm eating this, I tell myself, well, this is not good for me, but I'm still going to eat it. Yeah. What am I teaching? Yeah, you're what doing am I the harm now. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're, now you're like, oh, like how many people consciously think about sabotage, You're knowingly poisoning yourself is what your brain yeah. is probably thinking. Cause you're like, now that's why ignorance is bliss, right? Like for somebody, it's almost like in a way, if you don't wake them up to nutrition, maybe they're healthier eating their crap, but that's the problem. The minute you're convicted or your conscience tells you you're doing something that's Maybe this isn't good for me. Now it's a whole nother conversation, isn't it? Well, that's the disease that's model. If you, can, if you can convince someone they have a disease by like, I have a lot of friends who have wives who go on WebMD religiously because they're like, oh, they're self-diagnosing. And how much is created by self-diagnosing oh, in that sure. way? Yeah. You know? and, and how about just, you know, over and over, you know, many people go to the ER because they're dying and it's just, sorry, it's anxiety or you have heartburn you know, but you have to kind of do it now because so many people do have heart attacks. So it's like, you don't want to be the fool sitting at home thinking, I just ate too much pizza and you're having a heart attack. And, and, you know, I know a guy, it wasn't a heart attack. It was a stroke. He was having a stroke. He had a headache for two days. He finally does go to the, the hospital, the ER, they put him in a hallway overnight and they're like, you're just having a migraine. He was having a stroke. He is not recovered. His life has changed forever in that 24. It's really sad. So like, you don't want to be like, you don't want to be a hypochondriac, but you don't want to be too stoic either where you're sitting at home dying when, man, they could have just put you on some aspirin and checked you in for a few hours. You'd be good to go. But here's the reality still is, well, how'd you get to that point in the first place? And so that's what I'm trying to do. It's like, by the time we get to that point, we're in a lot of trouble. So 
I'm trying to use wisdom in nature to say, okay, like the last 49 years, I have really banged this machine up here. And I know my spirit is connected to this physical machine and there's a consciousness, but um, the reality is I got I to gotta do some work on this machine if I want it to go another 50 years. And I don't want to live long just to live long. I want to live long to be effective and I want to be resilient and anti-fragile, right? I want to be even yes. better than being strong is anti-fragile. I want to gain from disorder. Like, you know, Talib says in that book, I want to be like, that's all you got for me. And, and like, you, you know, get stronger. Cause that is how the body is. We get stronger from stress, but there's a breaking point, like a rubber band, right? We're like rubber bands. We snap back. We snap back. There's a breaking point. And I feel like we are all grossly pushing the verge of that breaking point. And we don't know it. It's worse than we think is that. And, and so it's hard, Jonathan, because you said, well, what if I don't know it? And like, it, maybe ignorance is bliss and I'm just eating and enjoying life. And that's great. And I think there's no problem with that. But the minute you're awake to things now, it's almost like you have a responsibility to yourself to like do something about it. You can't go back into the matrix, right? I mean, remember in the movie, the guy tries to go back into the matrix and he's eating that steak and he goes, I know this isn't real. My brain's telling me it's juicy. And he's like, but, it, but he's having that moment of pleasure. But, you know, the reality is everybody else on, you know, that ship knows like once we're we're unplugged and we know what life really is, we have like a responsibility. And, that, and that's where I think we get into our our God side and, 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 and Christ and our purpose. And what are we here to overcome and all right? Like I think once but, but if it's not brought to your attention, the problem, though, is with all the social media, you're, it's bringing it to everybody's attention, whether you want it or not. And I do think that needs to stop. I don't need grandma seeing COVID 2.0 is coming and it's going to kill her. I don't need her because it's, I don't need her seeing that. Right. It, she was fine before all that. She would have been fine if it never got to her, her CNN ticker tape. Right. So anyway, Sean, last question before you wrap up, I just thought of this and I wanted to ask you, someone walks into your office and says, I want to get healthy. Where would you say start? I would say for the listeners. Yeah, I would ask them all about their symptoms. Okay. And I would start there. And I would probably say, look, I, I would I would do some techniques to just change those little bitty symptoms, usually pain or something, to give them some hope. And I would say, now look, we have to control the things that are controllable, that are low-bearing fruit. What are the easiest things? And I love, uh, I think Jordan Peterson says that when he's working with somebody really in a bad way, really bad way, he goes, um, all right, you have a goal, okay? There's a certain amount of steps you gotta get to your goal. But he says, what is something that you could do that you would do to get you closer to your goal? And that's where you start. You know, some people are like suicidal. Can you get through the day? Nope. Can you get through the hour? Nope. Can you get through 10 minutes? Yes. It's kind of like, and I don't mean to be dramatic, but like these people probably don't have a track record of keeping things going very long. So I would try to help them identify the low bearing fruit and get them some success and hope and, and, but be real honest, be real honest. Like, cause here's, here's where they are, right? They're stuck in this. Why pain. is that important? Why is being honest? And you're not talking about with them to you. You're talking about them yeah. to your them to themselves. themselves. Right? Yes. Because it's so easy to be sold on lies and, and BS. And, and what's out there is going to tell them if you buy this program, if you do this, it's, it, it might not be easy, but it will be quick. Or 
It's not going to be quick, but it's going to be easy. It's all lies. It's going to be terribly hard. It might take decades to get to where you want to go. So you either have to learn to accept yourself right where you are with all your symptoms and just be at peace. And then maybe because you will feel better being at peace, right? You will feel better. All right, quit. Just get the information out. Just be at peace with your eye. Or you want to get here. Do you really want to get here? Okay, let's get you there. But you can't stay stuck in the middle. That's the wilderness. That's 40 years in the wilderness. That's where all the pain is. That's where I've been stuck most of my life. That's what causes health problems and symptoms. And don't be stuck in the wilderness. Either accept where you are, your present time consciousness, your your circumstances, or do what's required to get you there. But you better trust somebody who can help you get there because, man, people are just selling selling stuff. And, and oh, it's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. No, it's not. No, it's not. It'll just be hard in a different way. But slow incremental changes that last I think that's the way to go. So that's what I would do with somebody. And hopefully they can do it. And uh, little by little, you you know, we, we get to where we're going. Sean, thank you. You're always welcome on our show. This has been an absolute, I love hanging out with you, brother. It's always good to see you. Uh, thank you for your wisdom. And I think our listeners are going to be a lot better for it because you're someone I truly know that cares about people. And so if you're hearing this and it resonates, Sean is very much the real deal. So you can trust what he says. Um, to all of our listeners, thank you. This has been a wonderful episode of Living in the Matrix. Please subscribe, comment, let us know what you'd like to hear. And uh, much love, everybody. Thanks for what you're doing, my friend.